0: I would like to welcome those of you guys watching online right now from coast to coast and across the Fruited Plains. My name is Joe. I'm the pastor here at Lynchburg City Church and if God should put it on your heart to give to the church, you can do so by going to lynchburgcitychurch.com. Just pray with me right now. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. We love you because you first loved us. And Lord, um, we think of uh, our dear friend Jason and uh, his family as they get ready to Uh, go back on another rotation to Papua New Guinea. Um, I pray for safe travels for them and for their family as they serve. Lord, we think of our leaders. We think of President Biden. I pray for wisdom for him. I pray for a special grace in his life. I I pray that you'd protect him, Lord, his health, his his mental faculties, Lord. Uh, Lord, help him to make good and wise decisions. And we think of all of our elected leaders, Lord. Give them wisdom. Lord, we pray for the, the peace of Israel, Lord. Um, and, and we pray, Lord, for so many people there, they, both Palestinian and, and, and Jew, Lord. So many of those people, they don't know you, Jesus, and they need to know you. And we pray for their salvation. Lord, we think of the persecuted church. I'm thinking of Leah Sheribu being held by Boko Haram in Nigeria because she's a Christian. I'm thinking of Pastor Wang and Pastor John in prison in China because they're Christians, Lord, for the, the Christians, Lord, in North Korea, for the Christians, Lord, in Eritrea, in Somalia, in the South Sudan, and in Nigeria. And we remember those who are in chains as if in chains with them. Please, God, help them. Lord, for our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, Coast Guardsmen, uh, Space Force, those serving both at home and abroad, we pray for their safety, we pray for their protection. And Lord, we pray for their salvation because so many of those guys, they don't they don't know you, they don't love you, they don't walk with you, Lord. So I pray that you would save them. And Lord, today, I, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. I pray that you would just give us like... A, ears to hear, um, that you would free us from whatever anxiety or competing thoughts may be trying to vie for our attention. And you just help us to hear from you right now, Jesus. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say. If there's something, Lord, you don't want me to say that I'm, I'm planning on saying, don't let me say it. And if there's something that I need to say that I have zero plan on saying, then I pray for a fresh filling of the Spirit in my life. Help us, God. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I love Luke chapter 12. So I memorize Luke chapter 12, because I don't know if you're like me, And you're dealing with worry and fear and anxiety like regularly. And for that reason, I need to hear Luke 12 regularly. I need to be able to to, to preach it to myself. And here's the thing about his disciples they're not immune to fear. They're not immune to worry. They're not immune to anxiety. And what I've discovered is that in those moments, I need to be reminded of of the, the massive promises of God in order to combat fear and worry and anxiety when it shows up in my life. And so he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat nor about your body, what you will put on for life, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And what you're gonna notice, what Jesus is gonna do, okay, I'm gonna point this out to you ahead of time, he's gonna give these series of arguments. He's gonna go from the greater to the lesser, so be on the lookout for it. He's gonna start with big things and move to very, very small insignificant things. And the first thing that he mentions is this, consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So understand this, this is an agricultural society. When he talks about uh, having stuff to store in barns and having stuff to store in in storehouses, agricultural society. This would be like if you worked a nine to five job and and after you got your paycheck, you put money away. You had had money left over, which probably you don't in today's economy, but let's just say you did, hypothetically, okay? And this would be like if you're putting it in your uh, Roth IRA, your 401k, your high yield savings account, your S&P 500 index fund, well, whatever you may do. So this is the same, right? In an agricultural-dominated society, you're, you're storing it here, you're storing it here, and you're storing it there. And he says, oh, by the way, the, the birds don't do this. They don't do that? How, how could they possibly manage? That's the point. Because he takes care of them. And you're more valuable than the birds. You're more valuable than the birds. You don't have to be afraid. That's the point he's trying to make here. And, and then he says in verse 25, in which of you by being anxious can add a, a single hour to a span of life. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I've never had a conversation with someone and I said, hey, how did your week go? And they said, oh, I had a very productive week. Lots of anxiety, lots of worry, lots of fear. Very, very, very productive week. Like, I've never had that conversation. Maybe you have. I, I haven't. Like, because the truth is, I don't think anybody would say that. Because that's just silly, that's just stupid. And, And that's the whole point. Anxiety and fear and worry, it doesn't do anything productive. Like it can't even add one hour to your whole lifespan. I mean, just think about like daylight savings time, at least we get like one hour in the fall and nobody likes daylight savings time. See, it's not only unproductive, worry and fear, it's just silly, guys. I mean, just imagine right now. 20,000 years from now. I know some of you are like, I don't even remember where I parked my car. Okay. 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly about all the time you spent worrying. You will. Like, like really, we're going to be with King Jesus and we're going to have conversations. I imagine some of them will go like this. Dude, remember the... Early winter, early spring 2024, yeah, man, that election year, yeah, dude, the economy, yeah, all these things going on in my life, we were so silly to worry about all of that. I imagine there's going to be many, many conversations like that, talking about all (laughs) the amount of time that we spent worrying. In fact, I remember early on uh, in the history of the church, there was a gentleman here He'd only been coming for maybe one or two weeks. Pulled me aside. He said, hey, uh, Joe, question for you. So what's that? So that, that girl over there, is she single? And there was a crowd of people. I'm like, which girl are you pointing to? Uh, he's like, that girl. And I'm like, that girl? He's like, yeah, that girl. And I'm like, are we pointing at the same person? He's like, yeah, that girl. And I was like, are you sure? Yes, that girl. I was like, ah, that's my wife. So I, I, I don't think she is. Like, no, 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 she's not. Definitely not. That's worry. It's pointless. Worry is so pointless. Worry is silly. Worry is is stupid. And 20,000 years from now, you're going to feel pretty silly about all the time you spent worrying, all the time you wasted being a prisoner of fear and anxiety in your life. And if this is true, just look what the next verse says. If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? If you can't even add one hour to your entire lifespan, why would you waste any more time worrying? It's pointless, it's futile. And, And then he goes, remember I said, he's gonna go from the greater to the lesser in his argumentation. We started with birds, now what does he say? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, Solomon, the wisest man, the most unlimited resources, he can't compete with these beautiful little decorations of nature. No matter what he can do, he can't compete with them, right? And so the thinking is this. He takes care of the, the lilies. They're less valuable than birds. Feeds the birds. They're less valuable than you and me. That stands the reason he's got you. He's got you. You don't have to be a- afraid. You don't have to be, like, just paralyzed by fear all the time. Stressed to the max. And if that's true, well, just think about it like this. But if God so closed the grass, we started with birds, we went to lilies, now we're at grass. If he closed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and then tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you with you, a little faith? Now, I'll tell you right now, Grass is pretty insignificant, uh, kind of regardless of what century you live in, like cows eat the grass, we, we mow the grass. And uh, then there's this reference to the grass being thrown into the oven. And, and you need to understand this, in first century Israel, wood's not readily available. So this would be like today, if you need to preheat your oven, you press a couple buttons, what do they do? They take something very insignificant like grass and they use it as kindling and they throw it into the oven. That's what they do. And what this really is saying in the context, clothing the grass, it's, it's an indictment about the, the worry and fear and stress and anxiety, especially for those of us who are overly concerned with what other people think and how we look. It makes me think of one time when I was in high school and I understand high school is very difficult regardless of what decade you live in. But I'm in high school, and there was a time in which I used to put product in my hair. Not anymore, all natural, but there was a time. And I, I, I'd go in and I'd, I'd make my hair do this little swoosh. And I realized that's really more of a sound effect than an actual description, but you get the point. And I couldn't get the little swoosh to, to work, and I, I kid you not, I sat there for 30 minutes, unable to do this thinking, what are people going to think if I show up to school and I don't have the swoosh in my hair? Now, we, we laugh. It's silly, right? Almost 20 years later now, but in the moment, I mean, I was so stressed to the max about it, and I was so afraid of what other people were going to think. I didn't even show up to school that day. That's, that's what we're getting at. That's what he's getting at. So, what does he say? I, I take care of the grass. Something as insignificant as grass. It's less valuable than the lilies. I clothe the lilies. They're less valuable than the birds. And I feed the birds. And they're less valuable than you. They're less valuable than you. It's stands reason. I got you, guys. I got you. And so, we come to verse 29. And he says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for... All the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So here's the challenge. The challenge is the world. The world is pulling you in a million different directions. It's saying, find your happiness, find your joy, find your security in everything other than Christ. Are you worried about not having enough food? You worried about not having... Enough clothing? Are you worried about being lonely? No problem. We've got something just for you. And this is where uh, John Piper often says how the devil is mainly about good things. You say, That's, that sounds odd. He's mainly about good things? Oh, yes. Because he's very, very crafty. Say, help me understand that. If there's a tornado, you don't need me to tell any one of you that's a bad thing. If there's a hurricane coming, you don't need me to tell you it's a bad thing. You're like, bad thing, bad thing. Those are obvious. No, the devil is very crafty. He is mainly about the good things to keep you from the best thing. And if he can fill your life with so many good things that it takes your eyes off of Christ, oh, he'll do that all day long. And the world is inviting you to chase after everything other than Christ, in order to fix this issue of worry or fear in your life, all oh, by the way, ignoring and forgetting the only person who's actually big enough to truly help you. So, if if you're afraid of not having enough money, just get more money. You're afraid of not having enough food, you get food. Uh, you worry about being single, no problem, just get a relationship. And I see that honestly very often. Living in a college town, right? Someone comes to me and they're very upset because they're 18 years old. And they still don't have a boyfriend. And I understand that that may seem very alarming to some people, which is why I often tell someone, oh, by the way, just because you can date somebody doesn't mean you should date somebody. Not to mention, the world, regardless of the situation, will say, just go and chase that thing. That thing will fix you. And unfortunately, usually when you do that, it ends up creating 20 other problems in your life. And Jesus is saying, don't buy into it. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. This is where uh, Piper's uh, Christian hedonism comes into play, I think, in a very, very helpful way. And if you're not familiar with him, I quoted him already. He wrote the, the book Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. And he will often say, uh, forgive the, the title, but embrace the meaning if you don't like that title and understand that uh, hedonism in the old Greek sense would tell you, well, whatever brings you the most pleasure, that's the highest good. You should pursue that regardless of the morality and the ethics, go chase after that. Whereas Christian hedonism would say, Christ is the greatest source of all infinite joy and you should pursue him wholeheartedly. That's the idea. He is the source of infinite joy and happiness and satisfaction, and we should, nay, we're actually commanded to pursue our joy and happiness in him. The the psalmist would say it a little bit differently. He'd say, delight yourself in the Lord. And what's really interesting about his statement in Psalm 34, delight yourself in the Lord, is we often imagine this as a suggestion, like, oh, I appreciate the the advice. That's, That's interesting, as if it might be optional when in reality it's not. In reality, it's a command. In other words, if you're not doing it, you're wrong. And the problem, and one of the reasons that we struggle with doing this, with seeking the kingdom first, as Jesus would say, is I don't think we really consider delighting ourselves in Christ as being that good of a thing. Like, even the idea of enjoying Christ can be an odd thing to say. Like, don't get me wrong, we enjoy many things, I enjoy toys, or my family, or my children, or what about Christ? Well, that's an odd thing to say, just like in our vernacular. I don't think it should be. as the 14, excuse me, 1647. Shorter Westminster Catechism would remind us, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. How, how do you glorify God? How do you make much of God? And, and the answer is, You glorify God when you treasure and enjoy God more than anything else. So that when outsiders look at your life, they say that guy or that girl, they love their car, they love their house, they love their toy, they love their family, but you know what? They love Christ more! They love Christ more than anything else! this is what Jesus is getting at in this text he says don't buy what the world is trying to sell you look at me keep your eyes on me find your anxiety killing happiness in me because it's when you find it in him that you glorify him that you make much of him and to be clear some of the things that I just rattled off they're not necessarily sinful things but rather they become sinful when we begin to seek and use them to fix the fear and the worry and the anxiety going on in our lives to fix the void that really only Jesus can fill seek his kingdom seek his kingdom don't chase after these that's the constant refrain here in Luke 12 and so we come to verse 32 which is it's probably my favorite and he says fear not little flock Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And here's what I love about this story, guys. He doesn't come and say, just don't worry. As often many people do today, I find in our biblically illiterate society that really, they only know John 3:16, and that's it. It always saddens me, right, when I think about, like, how biblically illiterate is the American church is in general. I mean, just, just, like, let's say we set the bar really low and say, let's say you're 20 years old. I would hope that maybe you have at least 20 Bible verses memorized, or if you're 40, you have at least 40, but unfortunately today, this is truly like a reflection of of our just kind of uh, Disneyland version of American Christianity. We don't know what God's word says, and so when we actually experience moments of crisis or we have people in our lives that are really going through something, that's really all we can tell them. Well, Jesus loves you in John 3, 16. I love that Jesus doesn't do that here. Jesus knows his disciples are prone to worry. And his antidote is not to simply say, don't worry, but rather to show them something much bigger than their worry, namely who their God is. And so he says, fear not, little flock. He said, fear not, little flock? Why does he say that? That's an odd thing to say, right? He's talking to his disciples, fear not, little flock. Well, let's think through that for a second. What's a, what's a flock? Well, the flock is sheep. And, and what are sheep in the first place? Well, they're small and, and they're, insignificant and they're weak they're definitely foolish at times i don't know if you've seen the reel where the little sheep is stuck in the ditch the guy comes to freeze the sheep and then it bounds down five or ten yards and then gets stuck in the exact same place all over again so foolish at times yeah see he calls them sheep because it's true and it's why we're afraid see if, if you're big and you're strong and you're powerful You feel confident. You feel in charge. You're not afraid. This is why he says, Fear not, little flock, versus fear not, Tyrannosaurus Rex. (laughs) He says it because it's true. And Jesus' antidote to the fear of his disciples is to show them something bigger than their fear. But there are some important implications here. If they're sheep, if they're a flock, for starters, there must be a shepherd. And when you think about shepherds, you think shepherds, they, they know. They know about the sheep. That's their job to know, to know the sheep. That little sheep, it's got a broken leg. That little sheep, it needs a haircut. That little sheep just went through a really tough week. That little sheep, their parents are in the hospital right now. That little sheep is dealing with a breakup. That little sheep uh, is, doesn't know where the next paycheck's coming from. The shepherd knows. That's what shepherds do. They know. So we have a shepherd who knows. But that's not it. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give to you. Oh, we have a shepherd, now we have a father. Some of you grew up, you didn't have a dad. Some of you grew up like me and you had a dad and he didn't love God, didn't worship God. He hated God. This father, it says, He loves to give to us, right? Not not sell, not trade, not give begrudgingly, like, fine, here, take it, right? This is a good pleasure. Like, It makes his day to give. He loves to give. And oh, by the way, he doesn't give cheap gifts. He gives the greatest gift he could possibly give in the entire universe, and it was a very expensive gift. It cost his only son his life. He's showing them something bigger. You have a shepherd who knows what you're going through. You have a father who loves to give to you at great cost to his only son. And oh, by the way, what's the last thing? There's a kingdom involved. And oh, by the way, if there's a kingdom, there must be a king. And what are kings? Kings are strong. Kings are authoritative. Kings snap their fingers. Things happen, right? Kings make it happen. You have all those things. Therefore, no fear you don't have to be paralyzed by anxiety and worry when it shows up and knocks at your door, as it has been for some of you this last week. In other words, the little flock here, it gets to enter and enjoy the kingdom. And at this point you think, no way, that's too good to be true. The little flock gets to come and enter in and enjoy all of this. You say, that's not possible, right? Yes, it is because of the cross. That's the message of the gospel. He cleans you up. He fixes, right, what's been broken. And it's his good pleasure to do so. Oh, man. You have a shepherd who knows. You have a father who loves to give. And you have a king who's powerful and strong. Therefore, no fear. You want to fight worry in your life? You say, Joe, how do I do it real practically? You preach this to yourself. There's a reason. I memorized Luke 12. I need to hear this as much as anybody else, as much as his disciples. And it goes on, he says this in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that does not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. Jesus is going to describe two types of treasures here. You've got temporary earthly treasures, and then you've got like forever ones. They're characterized by eternal. And the, the temporary ones, they're characterized by, you could be stolen, they can be destroyed. And he says, the way in which you get, the way in which you get, or rather give evidence that you have the eternal type of treasure is by being the sort of person that is characterized by the generosity of the Father who who loves to give in verse 32. And I want to be real clear on this point, guys. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have stuff. It just becomes wrong when we hold onto them so tightly that we're unable to be the generous type of person that our Father is. And this is where I tell people, if you have stuff, if God's blessed you with different things, toys, relationships, whatever it might be, just hold them. but You hold them like this with your hands open. Because remember the the premise of of verse 22 and 23. He says, don't don't fear, don't worry, don't don't have anxiety. And to see, the the temptation is in our desire to have that security, to make those feelings go away, to fight that, like in our own strength, the tendency is to become reluctant to be the generous person that Jesus wants us to be. And so as a result, we we don't hold things with an open hand. We, We hold them like this. Because we're really afraid. What happens if we no longer have them? That's the fear. But he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Not wrong to have them. Just just hold them like this. Because what happens is when you hold them like this, you become the type of person that can't let it go. And you show and reveal that there are things in your life, idols, that you treasure more than Christ. And this is what the world is encouraging you to do. So so you get a relationship, right? And then you just hold it like this because you're afraid. Like, I remember what it was like to be lonely and single and I hated that part of my life and I don't want to go back down that road. Or you get money, right? And you're like, oh, I got to hold it like this, right? Because what happens if I need money later on I give it away or I'm generous? I don't have it. And you clench it so tight. That's the temptation. And Jesus is saying, you have to let it go because if you can't let it go, you reveal that you treasure something more than Christ and that you don't actually know him in a saving way. And here's the good news, guys. We can let it go. We can let it go because our Father has already purchased for us the greatest thing in the universe. Like, he's already given you something better than that thing that oftentimes tempts you to hold on to. He's, He's given you something better. He's giving you the greatest gift in the universe. That's why we can let it go. When we hold on to those things to be our pretend cure for worry and fear, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's made the reservation, the room is secure, so just let it go. And this is where C.S. Lewis, I think, is very helpful. He, he paints the, the picture, and some of you probably know the quote. He says, the world, this is what the world is like, according to Lewis. The world, they're like a bunch of kids playing in the ghetto, making mud pies, and they cannot imagine what it means to take a holiday out to sea. In other words, we are far too easily pleased. So, so think about that, right? Lewis says, this is what the world is like. They're like a bunch of kids, and they're in the ghetto. They're in a rough area, and they're making mud pies. you would be like, why are you making mud pies? But they think that's as good as it gets. The mud pies represent the the toys and the sex and the money and the the fame and the prestige. And and they can't imagine it being better. Christ is better. That's what he's getting at. They can't imagine when it takes a, a holiday out at sea for them, they'd rather just sit there in the mud. When Christ is offering something better. Or as Piper would say, unbelief in the promises of God unbelief in the promises of God is the root of anxiety, which in turn is the root of so many other sins. You say unbelief in the the promises of God, what promises? Have you forgotten already? Like his antidote for his disciples' fear, he clothes the grass, they're less valuable than lilies. He takes care of the lilies, they're less valuable than the birds, he feeds the birds. They're less valuable than you and me, therefore no fear, those promises, the bloodbought promises of the gospel. That's what he's talking about here. Or, or have you not heard? You have a shepherd who knows your challenges. You have a father who loves to give to you at great cost to his only son. And you have a king who makes things happen when your little world is turned upside down and you're so afraid. Therefore, no fear. No fear. So as the team comes today, I want to pray for us. Lord, I, I pray for some of us in here today who have just been prisoners for the longest time of worry and fear and anxiety in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would set them free. And for others of us, Lord, who have, I, who, who have made an idol out of different things in our life that we're, that we're using as this cheap substitute, this placebo effect to fix the, the fear in our lives, that we would let go of those things and that we would cling to you, that you would be our greatest treasure, our, our, our deepest love and satisfaction, that you would be our everything, God. We pray this in your name. Amen.